All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Boca Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Holritz. It's good to be here with you today. Happy Monday. It's kind of a cloudy, rainy Monday here. Uh, I'm not sure about where you're at, but I hope it's a good Monday nonetheless, a good start to your week. And uh, I'm pretty stoked, actually, for a brand new two guests, actually, which I'll introduce here in just a second. For those of you that are live streaming with us, please don't be shy. Ask questions, join in the conversation, comment on the conversation at hand. We'd love to have you involved. It's one of the benefits of doing these live streams is that you can engage with our guests and myself, and I hope you'll take advantage of that opportunity. For those of you that are not live streaming, you're listening to the audio version of this after the fact, come join us sometime. If you follow us at Boca Podcast, B-O-K-E-H Podcast on Instagram, and of course, all the socials, uh, you can keep up to date with the upcoming live stream schedule and come be part of the show. All right, enough of the intro, enough of the monologue. I'd like to introduce uh, to you all two brand new guests here on the show today from James and Schultz. James and Otto are here. Thank you guys for being part of the show. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having us. And we're going to actually dig into a conversation that, you know, honestly, I don't think we've, we've really taken this angle uh, when it comes to marketing, mm -hmm. the significance of building desire in our potential client's mind. We're going to touch on that here in just a second, but I think what would really help is to build some context as to why you guys are even here and why you can speak about this notion of building client's desire. Uh, will you briefly introduce yourself and, and your brand to our, our listeners? Yeah. We're pausing. We're both hey. being polite. <laughs> yeah. Yes, <we're>, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> hey, we are James and Schultz. I am, I am the James of James and Schultz, James Christensen. Uh, my colleague Otto Schultz here on the other screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've been a we're a, a duo. We've been you know shooting luxury weddings all over the world for many years. And about seven years ago, we joined forces, and James and Schultz was was birthed. So here we are. Well, and yeah, it's kind and, of a, it, no. Please go ahead. James. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's kind of a fun story. Yeah, Otto and I were competition for many many years uh, prior to to joining forces and um that that was always kind of a fun you know boys being boys always always going up against each other and yeah um and then we started helping each other out here and there we became friends and then we realized at some point like oh man the work became better the it was more fun to do this job uh mm. and so that that was kind of we, we always say we worked we did what we worked together one too many times yeah and and james and schultz was born so yeah, yeah and, that's seven, and to, about seven years ago. And to be clear, we're still in competition. We just share a bank account now. That's the only difference. <laughs> we share the spoils. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and James was actually mentioning to me before we got started that he knew myself and my former business partner uh, a number of years ago, Amber. Amber's a super talented photographer, and we photographed together for about a decade. And um, it's funny, I think back, you talk about competition even now. I remember we, we used to come home from weddings and we're looking through the files and we're like, oh, this looks really good. Oh, we're so excited about this one. And we didn't really, we weren't always sure whose picture was whose. You know, we're just shooting today and, and not really thinking yeah. a whole lot about it. So we went into our cameras, the, the Nikons that we were shooting with at the time, we had the ability to be able to, to adjust the prefix. So we adjusted the prefix on the file name to our, our initials. So now there was no question when we liked a particular picture, who took that particular <laughs> picture. So I think it's good to have that kind of competition. You know, it's funny on that point, we used to have that in the beginning, the first year or two, where I could see, oh, this is a James image, this is an auto image. And then at some point, it just, you can't, you can't tell anymore. It's just kind of become a James and Schultz image, you know. 
Well, and, and uh, I no, have the to, competition on the day is still there. And that's good. And, and it shows, too, I have to say, look, I've I've looked at I mean, between doing over 600 interviews here for the podcast and just being in the industry wow. now for a couple of decades, I've looked at a lot of photographers sites. And I had the opportunity to, to go through your website um, last week as I was preparing for our conversation. And man, it was such a breath of fresh air. It was wow. so refreshing. And in fact, I'm going to pull this up here as we're, as we're talking and I'm, and I'm giving you major props. For those of you fresh that man. may be listening to the audio version of this, uh, if, if you go to James, just like it sounds, James Ann Schultz, S-C-H-U-L-Z-E dot com, uh, you can take a look at the website, but immediately I'm just, I'm struck that, oh, this is something different. You know, there is, there's a focus on black and white. It's full frame or full screen images. Uh, and, and it just has a level of, you bring a level of class really to your imagery that wow. is just absolutely stunning. So I have to give you guys props Gosh. for that. Man, we appreciate, appreciate that. that. Thank you. Very kind. We truly do. Well, and, and again, just to give a little bit of context, and we're going to talk a bit more about this toward the end of the conversation, because I do want you all to have the opportunity to talk about Sage Journey and, and the education that you offer to the photography industry as it relates to high-end, working with high-end clients, uh, because yeah. it's not something that people are doing truly. A lot of photographers talk about high-end, and, and I, the meaning is almost subjective in nature. You all regularly mm -hmm. are charging you know, five-figure uh, sums for your photography, which is puts you at the top, probably less than 1% of the industry. Right. And I, I'm just curious to give a little bit more context to our listeners. How long did it take you to build to a place where you were able to charge those kinds of fees? Yeah, you know, 20, 20 years is, is what, we, what each of us have if, as far as experience goes. Um, having said that, when we joined James and Schulte, seven years ago we we had to go we had to feed two families we each have yeah. a, a lot of kids there's seven kids <laughs> we each have a lot of kids <laughs> <laughs> that's what it feels the, like we each have a lot of kids yeah yes i mean there's seven kids between our two families so like we couldn't like take a big step backwards so i mean we came to the market seven years ago at you know we had to charge thirty four thousand dollars to to make Start it work um yeah. <laughs> yeah, almost just out of necessity. You just had to kind of go for it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's an, it's an interesting question, right? We were talking about it earlier. It's taken us 20 years, but it's also seven years, really, from, mm. you know, 34K to now, you know, just under 50. So it's like, yeah, short and long, I guess, is the answer. If that yeah. Helps. yeah. Well, and, and I, again, I have to stress something just for the sake of conversation and context for those listening in. I mean, it, it, the idea of getting to that place, I, I know that here in the little tiny Chattanooga market that I photographed in, we got to a place toward the end, say the last three years or so of our career, we were charging as much as 10 grand for wedding photography, yeah. which is a big deal in this area. But again, that puts us in a, in a really small percentage of the marketplace. And when we look at the numbers, I, I've used the weddingreport.com as, as a reference that I've used mm. a number of times over the years. And you look at the breakdown, 70% or so of the industry is charging less than two grand for wedding photography. The next 15% yeah. or so goes from the two to 4K mark, and then everything else is above that. And for you guys to be at this, you know, well, as much as 50K mark is, it just puts you in that top, top, top tier. And I think a lot of photographers, they hear that and they're like, oh, that sounds nice, but I could never achieve that. Yeah. Um, and, and I would have two responses and, and want to give you all the opportunity later on to give more context to that. But one, you have the, you're offering education that enables photographers to, to consider going in that direction. Um, but then two, it's also important to note that many of the principles that have enabled you to get to this place 
also will enable other photographers not only to be able to shoot in the 50k range but in the other price segments of yeah. the marketplace as well correct yeah absolutely and and to that yeah. end, we're gonna we're gonna be talking specifically about how to build desire in the in the minds of clients. A lot of times, the, the conversation kind of starts with how do we get to know our target client and then speak their language. This yeah. is a little bit of a different approach, which fascinates me. Which is <clears throat> let's actually create a certain desire that goes beyond just their simple needs and maybe even basic wants. Let's create desire for a brand like ours. And I'm curious to, to understand more what that's about here in just a second. But before we get there, a couple of introductory questions I'd like to ask my, my guests on a regular basis. This podcast mm -hmm. is number one about helping photographers create sustainability in their business, i.e. Yeah. I can run a business that meets my needs, pays the bills, allows me to put money in savings, pay for all the kids, but then also enables me to still have a life at the end of the day. I'm not working 80 hours a week constantly in front of the screen. And to that end, I'm curious if there's a big idea. I'd love to hear from both of you, James and Otto, both um, a principle or a big idea that has enabled you in your business together, as well as individually, uh, to, to maintain a certain amount of space for just doing life over the years. Mm -hmm. Otto, go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's a few. We're going to give you a few, but one of the biggest ones for us in the last year or so is we've gotten incredibly busy um, is focused work sessions. You know, it used to be just one big blur every day. We'd kind of start the day and just get working. Um, but in the past year, we've started doing like 90-minute focus sessions. So for 90 minutes, I'm only reaching out to planners or I'm only doing admin or I'm only editing no James back and forth messages, no Instagram, no Facebook. Um, and that's one of those things that's just created, I think, hyper efficiency to where if I work hyper focused like that in sessions for a half a day, essentially, I can go home after lunch, you know, and be with my family and have that time and have that mm. space. Because if you don't set it up, you're going to get away with it for a few years. But once you hit proper success, it'll t take all of you. Um, there'll be no time left. So that's one of the biggest things for me in the past year, especially you, James. Yeah, I mean, I, I have always been a big systems person, um, yeah. and I think for for most photographers, if you're if you're not building systems, uh, it's going to be a hard road. To to your point, Nathan, of it being able to ha still have a life, um, and so systems we, we refer to systems as you know a CRM, just something that can uh, can handle all of the inquiries that you're getting, that can handle the contracts, that can handle proposals. Um, a great bookkeeper, data. you know, yeah. like, so you can actually think about the things that you're good at, whether that's building relationships or creating art, you know, create systems that that can really sustain your business so, mm, so that yeah. you're not up up at night at eight o'clock nine o'clock, 10 o'clock at night trying to get things done because you don't have a good system in place for it. You're just spinning your wheels. Yeah. Yeah. And it just allows you to do what you're good at, right? Otherwise, eventually your brain just runs out of energy and there's mm -hmm. no space to think visionary or creatively or innovate because you're just functioning. And the other thing for me is our biggest reason why is our families. And so if we can't get back to them, invest time with them then really what's the point you know because i like money at some point just loses its value like if you don't have any that's no good <laughs> it's a horrible state to be in but if you have money at some point it just kind of 
it doesn't get better. It's just, it is what it is, right? And for us, the big thing now is um, essentially buying back time, family, you know, personal time. Because I think these systems allow us that, you know, we don't struggle trying to do accounting because we suck at it. <laughs> so we hired somebody. <laughs> <Me too. laughs> yeah. And so gone are those days. And now we can save that space, that headspace, mm. and use it on something that has much bigger ROI, like outreach or connecting with people. Mm -hmm. um, so I think those things are huge for us. You know, it's interesting. You were talking about the it, when we're so overwhelmed with workflow that it's easy then to get out of the, the mental space that enables us to be creative. And I, I just finished reading a book. It's, it's called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, Joe Dispenza. And oh, wow. it, it's, it's a fascinating book on multiple levels. But one of the things he talked about is, is that where we're if, if we are in that kind of frantic, almost fight or flight state where we're just constantly yeah. trying to keep up then there is not the mental space that enables us to then be creative. And that creative person, even for, even for somebody who might not even consider themselves an artist, maybe more a business person or a systems person, kind of like James, yeah. you were describing, for that individual to think creatively in whatever space that, that they are particularly strong and that tends to go away for the sake of just trying yeah. to keep up. And I think a lot of photographers tend to exist in that space. So it's, it's truly important Number one, yeah. as you were talking about, James, to, to put systems in place and then auto, the, it, it's wild. It's such a simple concept, but I've continued to find benefit even recently in this myself, which is that yeah. very intense short spurts of work where you're actually focused. Like people talk about, oh, I'm working hard, but it means that they're doing, you know, they got Netflix in the background and Instagram yeah. just gave them 15 notifications and they're getting email notifications and then they're trying to do six other things on top of that. That's not focused work. So I, I love what you describe, Otto, and that we're talking about blinders on, head down, focus for whatever it is, 30, 45 minutes, an hour, hour and a half, take a break, get up, go you know, 15 minutes, have a coffee, yeah. go do something, come back, and then do that thing again. You do that three or four times. And to your point, the, the day is not only highly productive, but you can be done way before you know the, the kind of stereotypical five o'clock. So I, I think these are really, really yeah. good principles. I do have one quick follow-up question, James, for you. You said you tend to be a more systems-oriented individual. Not, In fact, a lot of photographers probably wouldn't claim that. Do you have a suggestion or idea for somebody who's like, I don't even know where to start? Yeah, I mean, I, we are big on SOPs, right? So. Uh, standard operating procedures for those who don't know what an SOP is, but we try to create an SOP in every aspect of our business. And uh, so if, if you don't know where to start with, with systems, start with something that is simple, like, like for example, a inquiry, like, you know, a lead comes in via email. What is your system to handle that? And, and so what we'll do with an SOP is Otto and I will sit down. We do this every year we sit down and we, we say, okay, what is our system when a lead comes in? How fast are we responding to that? How are we responding it? Do we, do we write out some templates that, and we don't use templates. We, we give a general idea of how do we want to respond to this? How fast mm -hmm. do we want to do that? Um, when do we want yeah. to follow up? What should that follow up look like? Um, what are the next steps after a lead comes in? And so we've just built an SOP and it took us 20 minutes and there's six, six steps, let's say that's a system. Yeah. And now, now you can move over into that lead goes into a sales uh, position. Now, mm. what does our yeah. sales look like? What is the, pr the proposal and the contracting look like? 
is there a phone call or is there not a phone call? It, it, just kind of looking through all the steps that are involved in every aspect yeah. of your business. Yeah. So, yeah, our, I, our that, brains love that. It loves it. Please, please go ahead, Otto. I'm just saying our brains love structure like that, right? Because then it can offload things. So it's not all these emails aren't in my head. There's an SOP for it. Email comes in, mm. gets entered as a lead, you respond, and now your brain frees up space because it knows there's a pattern for this, right? So yeah. otherwise in my head, it's just like chaos. Everything is there. Your wife, your kids, this email, that inquiry, a proposal, Instagram, Facebook, James, Systems just clears it all up. James yeah. is ever present. James, yeah. <laughs> Otto. Well, the, the the other part of that, Otto, as I hear you talk, is like, if it's chaos, you have no way to get better. Like, yeah. if you have an SOP, you could say, "What if we changed the step two, which is the the speed of our inquiry it, from from an hour or within twenty four hours? We're going to respond in twenty four hours to. We're going to respond within five minutes. Change that one thing. Do do the your lead response change. Like now you can actually start to structure. Well, if I change that and I tweak this and I do that, all these things get better. A, B, and, and the next time you're, yeah, next time you're looking at your SOP, then you're gonna, okay, we're gonna change this thing uh, for the future because it worked much better. And if chaos, you can't do that. You have no ability to get better and improve that way, unless by accident. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Here, yeah, accident. Which is a good point, though. Eh? Mm. That's a good point because for years, that's what it felt like to me. Business success felt like an accident. Up, down, up, down. Good booking, no booking. Some money, no money. Lots of money, no money. Like up and down. And these systems allows you to take charge of that, right? You put yourself in charge of all of it. And then it's just a matter of you doing it or not doing it. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. I mean, and it's yeah. funny. All the, I mean, you've, you mentioned two, three, four principles already, which are not in themselves or shattering, complicated or otherwise. They just have to be done. But I think the yeah. significance of intention is kind of the underlying theme there. I, we, if, if we actually take the time to take a step back, like you were just describing doing this once a year, I think for photographers, most photographers anyway, they consider maybe January, February, kind of the slower season. That's the time to take a step back, to take a look at, first of all, assess where you're at as an individual maybe with a partner, family, or otherwise, but where you're at personally, what it is that you're wanting to achieve, and then layer that into what it is that you want to achieve with your business, and then begin yeah. to write out intentionally, write out what it is that you intend to achieve with the business, and then that will enable yeah. you to do the things that you're talking about. So then coming up with an SOP, standard operating procedure for each of the, say, five, six, seven yeah. primary components of the business, that intention then enables you to free up your mind to focus on being the creative that you want to be through the rest of the year. Uh, I think yeah. that's a, it's a really, really good man. We, and we could easily spend an hour here just talking <laughs> about this stuff. It's really good, but I want to keep going and kind of shift. Well, not even shift gears so much. When we talk about efficiency, um, you've shared some really important principles as it relates to building a more efficient or sustainable in the long run business. But part of that efficiency is focusing on the core principles that do most of the heavy lifting. And you've already kind of begun to allude to those here. What would you say, and I'd love to hear from both of you again here, what would you say is a big principle, a key principle that has enabled success in business for each of you over the years? A, a principle that's done, you know, the kind of the 80-20 principle that's done a lot of the heavy lifting for you. Yeah. I'll, I'll say this with us, none of it's rocket science. It's all very simple. <laughs> 
all of our education, none of it's like, oh my gosh, I never thought of this. It's all just very simple. I think the biggest thing for us over the years, the biggest driver has been connection. That's at the heart of our business, all of it. On the wedding day, on the weekend, and outreach, and all of it, connecting with people, genuine interest in them, right? Um, I, I honestly think that's the biggest one. Yeah, relationship building. Yeah. And connection yeah. for the sake of, you're talking about relationships with clients, with vendors, kind of a combination of all the above? I think more so, honestly, with vendors than anything. Okay. With clients, we don't really get the opportunity to develop relationships so much, right? For the most part, we meet our clients at the welcome party or the rehearsal dinner for the first time. Uh, we always push for a call, but we don't always get one. So it's hard to build relationship with the client. I mean, on those calls, we look for connection. Certainly, once we meet them, we are actively in pursuit of connection, right? We're talking to them and looking for opportunities to make connection. Um, but I think on the intentional side, it's been, you know, planners and designers and properties and all these things, all of that relationship building, our business is built on that. And it's something we say to our education audience a lot, it's like, we're photographers, we get it. You guys think it's the work. It's not mm. the work. Mm. The work is important. It's on the list, but it's not even honestly top five, maybe. Agreed. In this equation. And so that's what I mean when I say connection and relationships. Yeah, the relationships with the vendors carries a heavier leverage. Um, yeah. And we talk about sustainability, longevity of a business also encourages that as well in the bigger picture, right? Yeah, very much. Okay. Yeah, because if you're intentional and strategic with those relationships, it's almost like you're creating these little like marketing pods everywhere. They're authentic and real, right? People will sp spread the word for you. You can brand associate, you know, you can create allure and incentive for people to want to work with you. And that story can kind of start moving throughout these relationships, you know. I mean, we've seen that in the industry. First few year, years as James and Schultz, we didn't have that baseline of relationships yet. And so a lot of the things when you go and you say, oh, it's $40,000, they go, well, no, <laughs> you're crazy. And then you take a few years and you build that influence layer by layer, wide, right, across the industry. And then you come back to that same person and it's a completely different equation, proposition to them, right? Mm. Um, yeah. And just to clarify, too, I mean, because we get this pushback a lot. You know, what do we say? Like, you need to, to up your your outreach game. You need to reach out to more wedding planners. You need to build more relationship. It's always people are always saying photographers are always saying, like, well, that's hard for me to do. I feel like I'm I, I, to cold call somebody or to, to go out mm -hmm. with my hand out. Like what when how how can I work with you? That is not what we're doing. You know, we are. Otto said it before, we're going out and building intentional and authentic relationships. So when we yeah. connect with somebody, we're, we're there to listen and understand what is what is it that they need? How can yeah. we help them? Um, and, and that's the core of, of those connections. Like, yeah. how can I increase your influence? How can I increase your revenue? Not my revenue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? and, and by doing that, you're going to increase your own influence. You're going to increase your own, own revenue but yeah. that that's we're never there with a handout but what yeah. do you have for me what yeah. do we have yeah. for you and, that, and that's where you approach every single relationship which is a game changer really yeah the focus is on how can i serve the other person because uh, yes. you guys have, have been in the industry long enough you've seen 
the photography industry has, has really gone to, it, it's interesting, and I'm sure we could speak to a number of factors of what's driven this. When, when the industry began to shift from a kind of a boring old uh, stuffy professional you know, <clears throat> photography shooting yeah. medium format camera and everybody's stiff and posed robotically to more of a focus on journalism and then a shift to, to a focus on building personal brand, photographers began to, I mean, the, the pendulum kind of swung to the extreme, I think, where they are just obsessed about talking about themselves and seeing what they can yeah. get for themselves. And you see this on websites and in social medias and the complaining and everything. It's just, it's very much photographer centric. Yeah. And we've lost the the significance in many cases of the importance of serving yeah. others, of, of how figuring out how we can add value to the relationship as the priority, knowing that it's yeah. gonna pay off in the long run, but everybody benefits as a result of that. Yeah. 100%. No, I mean, we had that for years, Nathan, like typical photographer, artist, the work is so personal, right? So a client would connect with us and we would launch into our story. Here's our story. Here's our vision. Here's our ideal client. Your photographers talk about this a lot, right? How do I attract my ideal client? And me and James often joke, the client that will pay our rate, that's our ideal client. And then we go from there. Because this was one of the big uh, aha moments for us years ago when we shifted away from us to them. We said, it's not about us. It's not about our art, your story. And once we started doing that, now you're listening and now you bring value beyond just photography at that at that point, right? Um, because the bottom line is a wedding client, they might appreciate the work and the art aspect of it as they do, but they're not hiring a fine art photographer. But bottom line is they need a wedding photographer. That's that's bottom line, right? That's the first thing. They're not like they're not like photographers looking at the work going, ooh, art, more art. Especially not luxury clients who right. own actual art, right? They laugh at the idea of like, this is wedding art. They're like, come <laughs> on. Right? Like, I love hearing this from you from you guys though, knowing what it is that you charge, the type of clients that you work with, that that you're bringing it down to basics, the practicality of, hey. This is in the end, it is just wedding photography. In the end, the photography is four or five on the list and the priority of the things that actually help you build a business. But because photographers have become kind of so obsessed yeah. with themselves and there's so much ego driving the conversation, yeah. the practicality gets lost in the mix. And as a result, we miss out on the opportunity to, to build a more effective business. Yeah. So this is this is super yeah. important. And I'm, I'm really, really glad that you brought this up. Yeah. Well, and, and just just to, to let's make no mistake that the work matters. It does. It, yeah. it, it, we always say that amazing photography, being able to walk in any room and create a beautiful photograph is a given at the at this level, at, yeah. as, as a professional, I, I think at a professional level, period, yeah. at the luxury level, like you better have, you better be on yeah. your game. Right. And so that, that's again, it's a given for us. And now we look how do we how can we treat this client and tell their story how can we make this a unique thing for them yeah and that's how we approach our weddings well i, I think yeah. it's as carries even more weight now considering how technology continues to make it easier and easier to take a beautiful image right i mean that's what it. these phones can do is incredible and <clears throat> yeah. we have to keep that in mind in the context of building a business okay so if if any and everyone can take up a, a phone or or a camera and take a decent picture at that point then yeah. a so-called good picture doesn't differentiate me from, you yeah. know, between the, the $500 photographer and the $5,000 photographer, what is going to differentiate? And it's, it's the experience and it's the relationships. And those two things mm -hmm. are going to carry much heavier weight in the long run.
Yeah, and that's such a good point. That's a point that I've been making for like a few years now, saying back when we started, there was only foam. And it was really hard. really hard. There was an actual skill in producing a technically good image, right? And so you could get paid for that. But nowadays, the gear is so good. You can walk into a wedding and underexpose the whole thing six stops and still get away with it. So the value is not in photos it's anymore. True. It's in connecting with people. It's in creating want. It's in story. It's in understanding your demographic. An amazing photo even with amazing photos now, it's back to capturing a moment or composing something. It's not the technical side anymore. That's easy peasy now. My kids can do it, really. Yeah. And and if if you come into a, a room, make amazing images, but, but you're an asshole, okay. <laughs> like, the way people are going to see that is, you know, they're not going to look at the work the same way. They're yeah. going to look at it and go, no, this isn't a great image. The experience okay. of creating this image was was a negative. Um, well, and, like, and along the way then, and uh, we lost Otto there. He's chiming back in, so we'll add him back to the conversation here real quick. Otto, you're back. There you go. My apologies. <laughs> no, 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 it's good. But you're absolutely right. The the Not only can we not afford to let that ego kind of run the show, but because, of course, the world is so connected now, word gets around very, very quickly. If they realize they're working with yeah. a terrible person, then it doesn't matter how good your pictures are, or how good you think you are. Um, yeah. that, that reputation really is going to lead the way and, and put you in a pretty bad spot. So I know, again, we could, we could park here and spend a lot of time. I, I want to yeah. keep the conversation going. And actually, before I do, we're going to talk here about building this idea of building desire and the, the mind of a potential client. I had a comment from YouTube, images by Adriana. She said, how long were you all in business before you arrived at a point where you finally hit a comfortable stride with your outsourcing and systems? So kind of going back James, to what you were talking about, the significance of systems. Is it is it about a time frame, do you think? Um, or what, what's your response to Adriana? I mean, it's hard for us to say because we, we each brought, what, 12 to 13 years of experience together. Yeah. But joining, the, joining together forced us. We had to have systems because we, we each were doing things differently anyhow. And so we had to go about creating those. And we saw... Uh, steep climb, uh, incline of, of success, right? With, with We were already fairly successful, but once we started putting systems in place and joining Huge. together, it was quick. So I, I think the, the sooner that you can do it, I think you will start seeing return on that investment yeah. immediately. Yeah. Right? I, I want to add something to that because my natural inclination is not systems. <laughs> I'm a flow guy, right? You offer me something, I take it because why not, you know? That's how I operate. But systems has been a huge game changer for me with James, huge. It's freed up so much. For me as somebody that's very much go with the flow, it's actually given me more space to go with the flow. It's made it safe to go with the flow because it's not a thumb suck anymore. It's not just like, whoa, I don't know. It's kind of like working out. You see the guys in the gym with their notebooks and you're like, that's silly. You just do what you can. But there's, there's, a, re there's a reasoning behind that. Yes. So something about that that your brain likes. It likes putting things in categories and going, okay, I've hit that goal. I've hit this thing onwards. Um, yeah. So for, well, the, for you. The thing about, about the, you talk about taking notes in the gym. Uh, not only, I mean, our brains, I think in some cases might appreciate the notion of having certain goals in place. But I think a lot of photographers would also still push back. They're like, ah, but I just don't really care about the numbers. I'm not good with numbers. I'm not good at systems. And so that continues to be the excuse. But the reality is, 
if we learn as business owners, if, if we again set the intention, we realize the significance of paying attention to those details. Also realize that to your point, Otto, it's not a mutually exclusive suggestion. We're not talking about yeah. being a business person or an artist. You can do both. And the reality yeah. is if you put the systems in place, it frees you up to have more space to be the artist. So then paying attention to the details enables you to be a much more intelligent, intentional business owner. Yeah. Uh, because not only did the systems free you up to focus on building the business, but then you have the, the systems, the data in place that enable you to make intelligent decisions for the sake of building your business as well. I think that's some yeah. of the, the, you talk about the, the, the gym metaphor, and I think that's kind of where the, the comparison lies is in keeping up with the details enables you then to pay attention to what's making a difference and then continue yeah. to build on that. And that's yeah. what a lot of photographers, myself included, by the way, for so long in my career, I just didn't pay attention to the data because I shied away from it. It, it was something yeah. I wasn't interested in, didn't like. And since, unfortunately, I've realized the significance of, <clears throat> and, and how much weight that carries and how much difference it can make in, in freeing up our lives, not only enabling us to build a business, but free up uh, our lives as well as business owners. So yeah, that's also yeah. a great point. I, we'll keep moving here and because I want to get to this conversation. And again, just to, for those of you that are listening and maybe weren't on it at the outset, um, we're going to talk today about how to create desire in the mind of the buyer. And I think this is a kind of a nuanced, uh, a shift, uh, a nuanced shift in approach to this conversation about marketing, because again, most of the time we talk about getting to know our so-called ideal client and what it is that they like, what they're interested in, the language that they speak, how they spend their time, et cetera. And then kind of matching up to that. But we're talking about taking a leap beyond that and figuring out how to create desire in their mind so that when they're making a choice about our brand, they're doing so from a place of more intense desire versus out of practicality or necessity. And, and I really like that idea. But let me let me ask you this first, both Otto and James. Do you think that speaking as photographers who charge five figure or high five figure prices, do you think the notion of desire for clients who are spending thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars in wedding photography and desire of those who may be spending, say, five, does that type of desire vary between those types of clients? Or differ, I should say. Yeah. yeah. We were talking about this a little bit earlier. I think that as human beings, we all have the ability to rationalize the thing that we desire, the thing that we want. Like we're going to find if, if, if there's enough want, I mean, think about your own buying habits. If you find whether it's a $300 pair of jeans or a pair of shoes or it's a new car, I mean, whatever it is, you have the ability if, if you have that desire to rationalize and convince yourself like yes, I need that thing and, and to spend that money. The difference, you know, I think when we first started 20 years ago and, and where we're at now is, you know, for the, uh, the middle market, as we call it, there are barriers, yeah. right? I, I might want a Bugatti. I might want my own private jet or a helicopter. I can't have that, <laughs> right? <laughs> Come on, so James. I can, <laughs> I can desire it all I want, uh, and I can but want means it. Means an there's yes, the means is an issue. I can't get to that thing, uh, yeah. and that's I think the difference, and and where we kind of landed on this this idea was we realized most of our clients means is not the issue. Yeah, want yeah. is the only the only game. If we can make them want it, they will buy it because yeah. they have the money, period. Yeah, and so for years, Nathan, we were shooting ourselves in the foot. We didn't realize this in the sales process because we have a middle class buying psychology, right? Like James just said. 
I want some, I think the first question is, where's the money? Do I have it? Can I afford to buy it? And so we were going into sales calls with billionaires and millionaires where with that problem is the first issue in our head. So we're going, it's the Macy's model, right? Buy one, get one free, we'll br bring more value, we'll cut you a deal. But at the Prada store, they create value the opposite way, right? It's just want. There's no value in buy one, get one free. They just want what they want. And so when we flip that, the game changed for us. Um, we realized, oh, they're buying psychology is not the same. It's just want. Create want, hmm. and they can, they can do it. Did it, did it take a little bit for you to adjust to the idea that you're meeting with millionaires and billionaires? Like that, that I, it's got to be a massive mental shift that has to happen. It, it is, you know, but at the same time, sorry, James, at the same time, oftentimes the clients, the bride and groom themselves, maybe mom and dad owns, I don't know, Walmart or matches, you know, whatever it is, or grandpa invented matches, right? And so they're billionaires, but the bride and the groom sometimes are just two shy kids, you know? So there's a spectrum there as well, right? Obviously, sometimes you meet with somebody and you're like, okay. This is, this is another level. I can mm. feel it. It's like when you're in the presence of somebody and you're like, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> I get it. There's something more weighty here, but sorry, yeah. James. No, I just, the, the, the biggest thing, back to what Otto was saying previously, is our own buying psychology, our own mindset was the, the challenge. Because, again, going in with, like, I know I will never pay this. And the expectation that, that you're putting on this other person is the, is the same expectation they're not likely to ever pay for this and, yeah. and spend this much money. And so that's the thing, the mindset is, yeah. is the hardest thing to get over. Yeah, and you know, it's a good example, James, that we had a client a few years ago in Aspen and um, they inquired and it was both of us, I think back then at like 34 something. And at some point the planner came back to us and said, well, look, these clients have set a budget for, for 20,000. So is there a possibility that we can split you guys up, right? And so with the old buying psychology mindset, we would go, cool, let's make the deal, give them value, take one away, charge less. But we did something different with this client. We pulled away. We said, look, no, we're not going to divide up. If you want the best, that's the two of us together. And that client literally from there went and more than doubled their budget. They ended up spending almost $60,000 in the end with albums and everything. <laughs> Simply because of scarcity, we pulled away. We said, look, you want the best. And for them, means is not an issue. Mm. Yes, I want the best. And the next question is not, can I get the best? They can. So yes, I'll have two of the best. Thank you. And it was a huge eye-opener for us. Because under the old psychology, we would have settled at 20 right. and divided up. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. Is there any, when we're talking about income levels like you're describing, is there any sense of trying to keep up with the Joneses? Like so-and-so had this photographer, so I need to get that photographer as well? Or is that out of the equation? It do come across that sometimes, but more often than not, it they're trying to outdo each other. And so they don't want to repeat again to that right. point of uniqueness mm -hmm. and scarcity. I mean, sometimes if, you know, if you really connect with a family, you're going to get multiple people in within the family. But honestly, rarely do we get the friend mm -hmm. right? that, that it, it, it doesn't happen as often. I, and I think it's because we're trying to be unique. Got it. That makes sense. And that's so, interesting, James, because that used to happen more often years ago. As you say time. that now, I realize that used to happen all the time. It doesn't anymore. It's true. Very interesting. Well, if 
I guess I, I want to kind of just jump then directly into practical application here. Like, what is it? What does this look tangibly like for a photographer to want to create a sense of desire uh, through band, brand building or otherwise for a potential client to the extent that they would want to come to them, like they would to Prada or Gucci or Bugatti or whatever it might be? Um, even if a photographer is still, let's just say, charging three or four or five thousand, six thousand dollars, they may still be thinking about trying to continue to build their business. And the idea of reaching for a higher end client, how do they go about doing this? And I, I, James, I think you mentioned to me before we get started, you got kind of three big ideas or principles that you're going to share as it relates to this idea of building desire in the minds of clients. So feel free to take that away. Yeah, I mean, we, we talk often about creating a brand story. Right. And, and so for so many people, you think brand, you think, oh, I'm going to get my logo and my website and my color yeah. scheme and my my font that I'm going to use. And that's kind of the end. That's where branding ends. Maybe we add a little copy. Um, but for us, the, the idea of a brand story uh, goes much, much further than that. So we, we've already kind of mentioned one of them, um, which is scarcity. This feeling of hard that it's going to be difficult to access this because they're highly sought after. I mean, you can, you can spin this however you want to spin it. Right. But, but scarcity that there's not a lot of you. Um, th that's, that's, I think the number one, and we, we do this in multiple ways. So the, the, the brand story then of scarcity gets reinforced in so many ways. I mean, for, for an example, like just how we set up a call, um, we don't ever say to a client or to a planner, "Hey, we we're we're fully we're fully open next Wednesday." We we have the whole when day works available. For yeah, yeah. When works for you? We we say, "Hey, how about next Wednesday at I have an opening at nine a.m. Pacific time." Like, yeah. there's one slot. There's a whole day there, and maybe yeah. I am fully booked. <laughs> I mean, or maybe I am fully open the whole day, but I don't ever say that. I'm going to say, "Hey, here's the time," and maybe we'll give them a second time, but. Um, but that's just one small example of scarcity and how yeah. you can build it throughout your whole story, if, yeah. if you will. Otto, yeah, you have I anything to add to that? Yeah, I think it's really important as I listen to you that you understand and know who your demographic is, right? Because if you're listening to this podcast now and you're charging, say, two or $3,000, a lot of the advice we're giving won't apply, honestly. Some of it just won't apply, right? Um, and so as I listen to you say that, it's really important. You have to start with your demographic. You have to understand what they want. That's the starting point. Because I think as photographers, again, we start intuitively with ourselves. So we go, okay, I'm going to make an amazing website. What's my favorite images, the best images to put on? And we say this often to people. It's like, we are not our clients. So whatever image I want to put on there, that's not the correct answer. I need to ask my audience. I need to go do that market research and understand what's appealing to them, right? Um, so I think that's really important where you start, you know, going from there. Yeah, and having that context, absolutely. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I don't want to. I don't want to minimize that. Also, I'm thinking about the broader audience, knowing that you guys are, mm. you know, top one percent or less than one percent. I want to make sure that we're also bringing some concepts that are applicable across the board. But yeah, but I, but even that principle, that idea is applicable across the board in the sense that you do need to be aware of the, the person or the people that you're trying to reach hundred percent and behave accordingly. So I, I, I totally understand that. So scarcity, number one, we're trying to build scarcity. We're doing that through schedule. Could we maybe say we're, we're building scarcity through price as well, because we're naturally filtering out a, a percentage of the, the marketplace by, by doing so. 
Yeah, hundred percent. But but to the idea of, of uh, making this applicable to everybody, I think scarcity is always going to be applicable to mm-hmm. uh, maybe not not ultra scarcity, right? I'm only shooting five weddings a year, and I'm going to charge two thousand dollars, and I'm going to feed my family for ten thousand dollars for the year. Like, those those numbers don't add up. But the other, the idea that hey, I'm a busy photographer. I don't have all day long to just sit around yeah. waiting for your phone call or, or schedule that that's an a- applicable thing um, yeah, at the luxury level uh, luxury is even more difficult to access so i mean if you've ever walked into a a luxury store and you kind of look around like there isn't a there's a, there might be a security guard there but you can't find anyone it's it's hard to get that thing they might mm-hmm. actually they might actually have you schedule a time to come back and buy that piece of jewelry. Mm-hmm. You can't just walk into a store and buy it right now. You mm-hmm. have to come back and schedule that. That's maybe not so applicable, but yeah. scarcity in, this, in the idea like, hey, I'm busy. I'm not just like sitting here desperate for your work. That emotional yeah. attachment of I have to book this wedding will harm you every single time. Yeah. You, it, it's, it's, a, it's a game that you have to emotionally detach from hmm. wanting to book that thing. And that's part of scarcity. That totally makes that's, sense. I think applicable. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So scarcity, first big idea, take us to the second one, if you will. Uh, Otto, I think you, you t- touched on it already, but curation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as photographers, we, like we say, we build a website. We, we, we try to think of the images that we, we love. Um, instead of understanding our demographic. But then all, the other thing we do is like, we love everything. I, I remember the days of blogs and some people still have blogs, but you, you start going through someone's blog and you're scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And you're like, there's there's 40 images of getting ready and you're not even a quarter of the way through the blog. And you know, 250 yeah. images later, like you've seen the entire wedding and, and not one image stands out to you. Cause yeah. You've been inundated with a bunch of mediocre, (laughs) yeah, and inundated with a bunch of mediocre imagery, right? Instead of curating uh, the best of the best. Hmm. And again, knowing your demographic, what does that demographic want? And then curating down to the best of the best and only showing that they don't need to see 150 images. Isn't that I don't, for a while? Yeah. I think I think photographers are kind of backed off from that. But for a while there, the, photographers were literally blogging a hundred, a hundred and fifty images, two hundred images maybe from one wedding. The amount of time I can only imagine that they spend doing that for just that one client, and it totally gets rid of this notion of scarcity and the significance yeah. of the individual image. It minimizes the value of the individual images, and then on top of that, and this is still I think pretty commonplace, but photographers are regularly delivering twelve hundred, fifteen hundred images as a final product and. I mean, maybe if yeah. you've got a three-day wedding or four-day wedding, but in, otherwise, it just doesn't it doesn't add up. It doesn't create that sense of scarcity. Yeah, and our clients yeah. remember they don't spend their days editing and culling and browsing images. They can't do that. They don't know what to do with all these images. They don't know what they're looking at. You know, I mean, we hired. I think with luxury clients, it's just as important what you don't show, right? I mean, we hired a editor from National Geographic a few years ago <clears throat> to look at our Instagram account. And at that point, we were sharing wedding work, inspiration, fine artwork, 
street photography. And the idea was like, show as much as we can. And she was just like, what am I looking at? Your audience doesn't know what they're looking at here, you know? And this the modern consumer is so fine. We're so precise, right? People want to see what they want to see. And so you need to show them that very quickly because they're not going to stay around. The days of a client mm -hmm. sitting and reading a blog post is gone. Instagram changed that forever, right? So you very quickly need to show, show them what they want to see. And that's the hook. And then get on a call so you can connect and add to that story, right? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And to, again, to that story of the National Geographic editor, like the thing that we learned from her, besides what Otto just pointed out, she told us a photographer might go for three years and come away in those three years of being embedded wherever, photographing with uh, 80,000 images. And we select 12, 12 images out of 80,000 to go in the magazine to tell the story. Like Amazing. The, 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 the most poignant story that we could tell. Mm -hmm. And that was like blew my mind because we like yeah. we shoot 4000 images at a wedding and like we can barely marry, edit it down to 800. Yeah. You know, and, <laughs> so but we, that that was a big aha moment for us. Like be yeah. nice with what you what you're showing. And when we came together as James and Schultz, we knew we didn't have a portfolio for the luxury weddings. We'd photographed amazing weddings, but it wasn't what we wanted. So we, mm. when we curated our, our portfolio down to what? 30 images, 20 images. That's it. And that's what we and showed. That was what we had. That's all we had on our website. That's all we, yeah. we shared. We kept sharing on Instagram, those same 30 images over and over and over again, until we kept adding. And finally we'd yeah. get, okay. you know, yeah. a wedding that and we were like, of... oh, this, this is the thing. This is the one that we want to mm, show. Yeah. And we would add it to the group mix and maybe take one out. But it wasn't about more, more, more. It was about less. Being more I have to say, I can tell too, because I mean, yeah. if you just go into your website and I've got this pulled up, anybody who's not live streaming, make sure you go to jamesandschultz.com. Of course, we'll link to it in the show notes at bocapodcast.com as well. But we land on the, the, the site and it's just these stunning full screen images. You're not distracted by, you know, paragraphs of text like a lot of photographers yeah. tend to do full screen images. And then even when you go to the various categories, it's larger format images, especially this, this image here, the bride and groom oh. climbing up the sand dune, just stunning, stunning. And, and you just sit Gosh. there and kind of want to take it in. And then you go to the next couple of images and the same kind of thing. I, I can very much tell that you're, you're practicing what you preach in the sense that mm -hmm. I, as I was looking through that portfolio last week and genuinely, I was I was just enjoying myself and like man this is so refreshing to actually look at photography that's enjoyable it's certainly beautiful there are elements that are unique but you can tell it's highly curated and and I can't yeah. recommend enough for our listeners to go take a look at your website so they can see what you're talking about yeah appreciate and we appreciate that and the other point to make there is what it's cu curated for it's not the image it's what's in the image because with this cutting floor when James said we only had 30 images in the beginning a lot of what photographers would consider award-winning images went to the cutting floor simply because the content in the image was not up to the new demographic, whether that's a suit or the location or the floral design or whatever. If that, that didn't match what our audience was looking for, we would omit it, right? And yeah, I think you can see that on our website as well. There's no pattern break. There's no images in there that's like a really great image, but the content doesn't make sense. Um, because we're pattern-seeking animals. And with an audience that's this precise, it's a subconscious pattern break that happens when they're scrolling through your website. 
and there's an amazing shot with a groom in a suit that's nine sizes too big. They don't stop and go, oh, the suit's too big. That means he's not high net worth. He doesn't have a tailored suit. They don't do that. But it's subconscious. There's a break and there's mistrust. Mm. And now you have a problem. Yeah. yeah. Well, again, I can see that too. Then that makes it makes even more sense because it was kind of subconscious for me as I'm scrolling through. But there, that makes even more sense now as I consider what you're saying. Is there just a little bit of a side note here or question? Is there any detriment to you being? You know, photographers think a lot about SEO, and in order to maximize SEO, you've got to have text on your site. Is there any detriment to your business not having for not being text heavy? I think this goes to my point earlier where I said. It depends on your audience, right? Because if you're serving, say, mid-market, SEO is invaluable. Why? Because your bride and groom is Googling, wedding photographer Aspen. They're looking for you there, right? With a luxury client, that's not how they access their clients. So we have no SEO, none. We've never done any for James and Schultz. simply because that's not a watering hole, if you will, for a client online. They ask. And so it brings us back to people again. They ask their friends, they ask their planner, and so we have to access them there. If we spend a million dollars on SEO this year, we will get zero ROI. Mm. Zero. Yeah. Well, not zero, <laughs> but very close. Totally makes very sense. Though. And you're, yeah, you're getting your business from, from referrals anyway. Okay. That, that, well, yeah. That's, yeah. that solves that. That's, that's great. Okay, so we start <laughs> with scarcity. Number two is curation. And then take us to number three. Auto. Yeah, I mean, I think number th- number three is um, it's one of the big ones is association, right? Brand association. Again, I kind of talked about it a little bit just now saying we're pattern seeking animals, right? And so brand association is huge for that, <clears throat> whether that's say a Vogue or a property or a certain planner. We play that game for many reasons. Not only does it add to our own pattern, what they're looking at with us, but it's also a nice opportunity for us to, to connect with other audiences, right? Like in that association, so Vogue or Michelle Rago or Lynn Easton, right? Um, those associations, I think, is the backbone of luxury, you know? And, and I, I would argue, we, we just make the distinguish oftentimes between a middle market, premium, and luxury. Yeah. And I would argue with all three, but especially premium and luxury, that association and the game of association is is so critical. Um, yeah. and, and we get a lot of pushback, like, well, I can't be in Vogue. It's going to take me years and years and years to Vogue. Yes, that's true. But <laughs> what, what what is the publication that you aspire to right now that you can get into? And yeah. you, if you, you keep associating, and I'm not just talking about publication, we're talking about other vendors, properties, uh, wedding planners, bands i mean anyone that's in the industry yeah who's aspirational to you and maybe that's just one step away from you right it's it's within reach but you're how can i go about associating myself yeah with those people and then you just are spiraling up this this idea it just keeps going and and in five years you have that ability to go hey i'm now associating with people i would have never thought of being able to do that with five years ago and you just keep layering it on layer by layer, right? You pursue one planner, big name planner for years, often fast that six, seven, eight years. And then you get that first job, shoot the wedding. It's amazing. It's that amazing property. Now you can an Instagram, right? Post tag the planner, the property flash that association to the audience, right? It's a small mover. It's a 1% mover, 
But now you do this seven times this year. Next year you do that ten times. Then you get featured maybe in say Vogue. You take that association, you tag, you you layer it on again, right? And that then rolls into Harper's Bazaar list, and then it's just layer upon layer upon layer, um, and it works. It really does. And, and are you are you kind of making those associations front and center, or are you expecting those to happen via conversation? When, I'm, I'm sorry, when I say front and center, putting it on your website or social or otherwise, or is it just through conversation? I would say all of it. I mean, okay. yeah. however, whether that's Instagram, whether it's, we have a lot, back to the idea of relationship building and connecting with people. We have tons of conversations nonstop all the time. And so, you know, we, we may have just had a phone call with, so-and-so and now i'm talking to a new so-and-so and you're able to me mention hey i was just was talking with so-and-so and she said or he said you know and now I'm, I'm associating myself with different people throughout that that game and so the, it gives you opportunity so many opportunities whether it doesn't have to just be uh, instagram and on my website but yes i think it's both or all three yeah and people more. joke about name dropping. You're, you're actually talking about name dropping intentionally. It's part of our strategy. <laughs> we're doing it right now. But that's the joke, right? It's like we're sitting here. And that's exactly what's happening right now mm -hmm. to the audience. The audience is listening and they're hearing 50K and Vogue and this and that. And in your own mind, watch what's happening. Mm -hmm. You're starting to form a, a picture of me and James, whom you've never met. You've never worked with us. But this idea in your mind about us is already, maybe, <laughs> you know what I mean? Elevated because we're giving you little bits and pieces. And that's, that's really what branding is, effective branding in the end. That's what it is. It's when that audience turns around and starts telling it, your story for you. Mm. And fishing stories, right? Adding to it. Because this is big, you know? <laughs> you you mentioned the idea of story brand earlier, James. Is is building a story brand? Donald Miller is a, is a pretty popular book, and even in the industry as well. Is that something that you're aware of? Is that is that what you're speaking to? Is that a book you recommend? Uh, I, I have read the book. I, I I don't know that that's what. We, yes and no. I, I think he does it so intentional. Like you know, I'm going to be your guide, um, and taking people through. Um, a, a pathway as the guide and that's that's kind of the story our, our, I think our story is more about um, create creating a, a story that is that creates want I mean, back to this idea of creating desire um, and it's through these things that we do it, it's less about a guide because for so many people and for us for many years we might have been aspirational for our clients like we're the cool kids, we, we're making this beautiful work and th that's what they wanted. Yeah. But you know, at the luxury level, especially, that's not the case for yeah. us. Like they're not, they're, as, not, they're not aspiring to, to be us, right? Yeah. They, they already have a, st a personal stylist and they can shop wherever they want to shop and they can fly to wherever they want to fly in there. Okay. So, so this, I think the story is more about creating want and, and that desire. That makes sense. And the distinction makes sense too. That's good. Well, for everybody listening in, I'm just going to pull this up one more time, but James and Schultz, S-C-H-U-L-Z-E.com. And by the way, the same thing on Instagram as well. So make sure to follow James and Otto there on Instagram. But then I want to kind of transition the conversation to Sage Journey because you all have alluded mm -hmm. enough to what it is that you're doing with your brand. It's certainly um, driving curiosity in my mind, and I would assume in the minds of other listeners as well, 
Will you talk to us a little bit about the education that you're <clears throat> offering to help photographers at least consider what it looks like, what it means to get into the space, uh, not just working with premium clients, but luxury, true luxury clients? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things here is like some people will say, we're not, we can't do this. We can't do luxury. And I think fast, we realize how ordinary we are. We're just two regular old guys and we've watched ourselves do this. And now we're going, we'd love to give this to other people. For the, those who are willing to put in this work, right? It's so simple. It works fast. And so now we're saying, all right, everybody, here's what's worked fast. Our entire system, top to bottom, what we did to get here what we're doing now to stay here and go beyond. And that's really the thinking with it, right? I mean, James talks a lot about how this changed his life, a mentorship changed his life and wanting to give that back. Um, James? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, when I started this tw over 20 years ago, I, I was a teacher um, and kind of started getting into photography and I had a photographer that took me under her wing and just mentored me for, for two or three years, um, really intentionally mentored me. How, how do you get into this space? And at the time she was a kind of a luxury wedding photographer in Newport Beach, California, and just opened everything up to me. Like, like, here it is. Um, and so I have a, a, we, I think auto too, we have this heart to, to give back um, and to, to help and to teach because we love just that aha moment. We love it for ourselves yeah. and we love it giving it to other people as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's, it, yeah. that really is as, as basic as that. <laughs> so yeah, and it's been, it's been life changing for us, right? Our lives have changed because of this, mm. our family lives. I live in Mexico. He lives in the woods in Idaho. It's very ideal. The, the quality of life our kids have, you know? Mm. And so we're going, look, favor else out there, you can have this. It's available to you. Here's the information run with it. Um, and there's some people that's taken that and seen those transformations and getting that feedback coming back. Oh my gosh, I just booked a wedding of $24,000. I don't think it was possible. You know, um, it's very rewarding. So mm -hmm. what's we kind of take us through the next steps and I'm again, I'm going to pull up uh, sagejourney.co for anybody lis listening in or watching. And uh, again, the same thing on Instagram as well, sagejourney.co. But Talk to us a little bit about what this process looks like. Um, I see here some calls to action to join the waitlist, join the Facebook group. If photographers are interested in, in getting involved in the community and, and potentially signing up for, is, is it a course or what does that actually look like? Yeah, so we, we do have a course that is only available at certain times of the year. It kind of depends on our schedule. Um, so we, we will open those up uh, a couple times a year to, to buy the course. And it is, it's over, it's a 76 video course on um, yeah what Otto said before, just opening up everything that we do to, to get everything. where we're at and, and, and how we've stayed here. Um, we, uh, we have a community though, in the meantime, when, when that is not available uh, on Facebook, it's called the Business of Luxury Weddings. Uh, so if you just go to do a search on Facebook, you'll, you'll find our group. You know, it's just a, I think, amazing a community of people ability to having the ability to ask a question that you might mm -hmm. not ever ask in a regular photography group, because mm -hmm. for whatever reason, mindset, um, ego, all, all, all sorts of things. Yeah. Uh, so people are there asking all sorts of questions. We're, we're in that group. Uh, it's just it has turned out to be a really great and satisfying community, I think. 
um, and it's growing every day. So, yeah, and and we're growing because of it as well, James. I mean, we it's great, right? We're growing and tweaking and developing from the group, mm. even though we started the group. It's been huge <laughs> for, for James and Shorter, yeah. actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that that whole the whole saying of if you really want to master something, teach it. Yeah. <laughs> right, like because the more you talk about it, the more you like you realize, oh man, we we do that, but we don't do it the same way we're trying what about to teach this. It. Yeah, yeah, totally. Maybe we could be better at that or this or that. Um, yeah. So we've actually improved across the whole board too. Yeah, it's been yeah. fun. Well, we'll we'll make sure, of course, to link to SageJourney.co in the show notes, BocaPodcast.com. And um, I, I want photographers who are curious to, to tap into that realm to have access to those resources. And I, I really don't know of an, another resource like it um, in an industry. So shout out to you guys for putting that together. Um, and shout out to you for making time to come on the show today, too. I, I know you've got a lot going on, um, but I appreciate you sharing some just really simple, practical, actionable advice for our listeners, some big ideas to consider. Um, thanks so much for making time for all of us. Thank you, Thanks for having us. Appreciate it, man.